from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Karen Kessler and Bill Cohen of the Ohio Public Radio and Television Statehouse News Bureau are familiar voices on Ohio public television and radio. They provide daily and weekly coverage of issues of statewide interest and issues surrounding state government to, quote, educate, enlighten, and empower the citizens of Ohio. Welcome to Writer's Talk, Karen and Bill. Thank you. Well, I'm pleased to have you on because I've listened to you for, for so many years, reading copy on the air and wondering, you know, what goes into that? How do they create that? How long do they spend? What are their processes to come up with it? And so we can delve into that and, uh, you know, just find out what makes you tick as writers and, and what ticks you off as writers, things like well, that. You, we sound like we're reading copy. I hope not. I hope well, we sound no, like I, we're I, actually I, having conversation with people, but of course we're reading copy. copy. Right, <laughs> right. But I didn't figure anybody talked that coherently for that long without it, because I know I can't. For example, <laughs> let me... Cohen. Yeah, okay. Bill Cohen is, is awesome. All right. Well, we'll start with Bill Cohen. Bill Cohen, you have been reporting news for Ohio's public TV and radio stations for 40 years now. And you're on the national public radio programs when Ohio receives national attention, as it does from time to time. And you're also on the weekly public TV show, The State of Ohio. Right? Karen, Karen show. That's Karen right, show. absolutely. And Karen, uh, well, in addition to that, you've got a background as the news director at WCBE Radio. You worked at WBNS-TV in Columbus, uh, worked on radio in Cleveland, and have returned to Columbus to cover some of Ohio's top issues. And you anchor the live coverage of the governor's state of the state address, and have you been interviewed by NPR, the BBC, and Brian Williams. Yes, so far, and right? PBS. I'd like to add PBS NewsHour to that PBS tally. PBS NewsHour, okay. Yes, so. uh, which one did you enjoy the most? Oh, meeting Brian Williams was a huge thrill. I really? mean, I, you know, even though I've been doing this for a long time, there's still that, that fan thing. And so, you know, meeting Brian Williams and being able to walk down the street with him was just really exciting. Did but, you force him to walk down the street, or was no, that was something that you... Okay. We had to walk down, had the, to street walk down the street, so we could. So it looked like just two friends walking down the street, mm-hmm. like I would be friends with Brian Williams. Um, like he would have me as a friend. But uh, the last time I was on PBS, I got a <laughs> chance to speak with uh, Judy Woodruff. And, you know, she's uh, a key figure, especially for women in journalism. So I was thrilled to talk to her. So it's it's, every time I get a chance to talk to anybody, especially from this side, it's kind Mm -hmm. of thrilling and exciting. Well, I'm interested in that. Let's start with that. This is different from you, right? You're normally asking the questions. You've got the sheet of paper. You know what's coming up. What's it like when you're not on this side? As journalists, what is your response to that? Um, there's a one response that says journalists shouldn't be on the other side. But I think that, it's a, that, you know, that journalists should recede into the background and they shouldn't be um, maybe interviewed uh, about your writing. It's supposed to be transparent. It's supposed to be neutral. It's supposed to be not seen. You're looking at me very strangely. Uh, I'm not sure what the question is. So well, you, I you mean, try it. I think, you know, <laughs> what we're not supposed to do as journalists, I think, is to be pundits, to get out there and predict and tell you what should happen. Okay. What we try to do is tell you what we see from our analytical perspective and and give you a sense of what is happening, not what should happen or what will happen, what is happening. So sometimes we get on programs, Bill and I, I think have both had this experience, where we're asked a question to give our opinion or to tell us who's going to win a particular race. And we can't do that. That's not our role. And who cares what I think? 
Uh, you know, my role is to tell people, here's what I've heard. Here's what the candidates and the campaigns and the issue people are telling me. And here's how it might play out um, based on the facts, not based on my opinion or based on any sort of conjecture. And, you know, before we do any writing, I mean, this show is about writing, but that's not the first step that, that in our jobs. Our first job is to go out to the news event and find out what is going on. So we're covering the Ohio House or the Ohio Senate. They're debating a death penalty bill or a tax hike or a tax cut. So we go out there uh, or we go to a news conference. Somebody's announcing a lawsuit against something. Who knows what it might be or a campaign event. And our first job before we write a word is to say, well, what's going on here to, to get all the sound that's going on? And we might be in an event for an hour or two or three if it's a big debate. And our job at, at that point is to say, well, what's the what's the kernel of what's happening? And then what are the sound bites? What are the what are those, you know, two or three sentences from this side and that side uh, that really symbolize the arguments? And that's those are the building blocks we use to then go back uh, to our desks and our computers and then write up a script around those building blocks and kind of make it a, a flowing, coherent thing. And, and that's the challenge we face as writers. And we do not write before we go out. I think a lot of people think that, you know, especially if we've been around for a while, that oh, you write the story before you even go out. You know what everybody's going to say. We don't. And many times we're surprised. We go out to an event and it doesn't go the way that we might have thought it would. But we, we don't have something written before we walk out and then just plug in the sound bites. We really try to get out there and find out what's happening and just like Bill said, use those events and those sound bites as building blocks for the final story that we present. Okay. So now you've both talked about using sound bites. Do you, after this many years in the business, recognize when you hear the sound bite that you want and you somehow write that down? Or do you go back, you listen to the whole tape, and you think, okay, this is the part that I want? What's the process for that? Because to me, then you're sort of writing to that soundbite, right? You're, you're providing context for what the person said. You may be saying it more succinctly than they did at the time. Uh, and that's part of the analyzing it. Okay, this is what they mean. It's encapsulated here in this part, and then I provide the rest of the context here. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're taking good notes when the event is happening and somebody commits a soundbite, <laughs> which sometimes is rare because some of these legislators and lobbyists and lawyers and who else and activists, they, they're not very good at communicating and saying in plain English what they mean. Others are very good. And so you, you, you usually recognize a good soundbite when you hear it and you put a star next to it and you say, oh, where was that on my tape recorder or mm -hmm. uh, whatever? And oh, I'll make sure I get back to that one. And you may not use all of them that you've put a star next to, but you can often recognize, uh, you know, when somebody says, this is the worst proposal I've seen in my 42 years as a state legislator. You go, oh, that sounds pretty good. Uh, so you'd, you'd be surprised how much of the other talk during the news conference is totally useless because it's in, it's in kind of bureaucratic jargon, you know. Amended substitute House bill from the 112th General Assembly would require a set-aside from federal Title 20, which is in, uh, similar to Senate Bill 62 back in... And you're going, oh, my... You know, your eyes are glazing over. Mm -hmm. Then somebody finally says something in plain English, punchy, with passion, and that is on target. You're not picking something just because it's emotional or something. No, you're picking something that has content and some passion and is punchy and really communicates. And you say, boy, that's a good bite to use in my story. And Bill's on a several decade long crusade to get people to speak English at these events. Mm -hmm. And he, he, whenever he, going he, <laughs> uh, it's not going great. No, it's some some people are really good at it and some people are not. And, you know, when they're not, then, of course, their voice doesn't appear very much in the story. Uh, instead, you'll hear more of us in the story paraphrasing what they're saying. To me, that's not as interesting as a story. 
uh, not as interesting a story, but at least it lets the listener uh, know what's happening, and hopefully they haven't changed the channel, uh, the station, or fallen asleep, because at least we didn't put a real boring uh, part of somebody's conversation. Now, you said tape recorder earlier. Yeah. And, that's, uh, and I'm assuming <laughs> that you're using uh, tapeless, you're using chip-based stuff. Tell me, since you've got the, new, the, the ability to edit wildly, um, some uh, uh, the sound that you get. You can very easily, I don't know what program you use, but you can go and cut up what you need. What kind of rules do you have in terms of trying to make take what somebody says and can you do any editing to make it succinct to fit into your uh, talk? What kind of uh, rules? Because you can have somebody say, this is the worst bill, I need some ice water that I've ever heard, and you're going to take something like that out, but where does it end? Well, I, I think we struggle with that on a day-by-day, case-by-case basis. Um, we certainly never edit somebody to change the meaning of what mm-hmm. they said. We never edit somebody to make them look bad. We edit for time. We edit for you know, people have missteps and misspeaks, and and we can allow for that. I mean, because especially in a debate that can go on for hours, it's understandable that somebody might slip in the wrong word and then correct themselves. And so I think it's a real case-by-case basis to try to figure out we don't want to change the meaning. We don't want to make this person say something that they didn't mean or that they had no intention of saying in that way. And so it's it's... It's dicey, and we talk back and forth with our colleague Joe Ingalls as well about if I edit this, what will it do? What will it do to the listener? Is it really fair to edit? It's mostly for time. It's, that's the main reason you're editing. And you know, you read the newspaper stories. You may see uh, the governor said he was, quote, uh, very angry that this ever happened, end quote. They're not even using a full sentence there, and they've, they've edited out that. Now, we often will use a sentence, two sentences, three sentences, four sentences. Our sound bites aren't five seconds long, usually. They may go on for 30 seconds, which would be a long quote in a newspaper story. But still, we, I mean, our major stories are four minutes long, and if you want to get both sides in, uh, debating some issue, along with maybe some historical tape of what happened 10 years ago, you've got to do some, some good editing. But that's what makes the story listenable and good when you've done a good job editing, as you point out, without changing anybody's meaning. Right. Yeah. I mean, that seems like the the obvious. You can't change the meaning. But there's also, you know, I've talked to people who say, well, I'll, I'll take the entertainer who's not being a very good communicator and I'll edit it down to what they meant to say, which I found fascinating. But they say anybody who's a public speaker, no, I'm not going to take out anything that they say, including the, the stuttering, including the, you know, repeating a word, things like that. Is that too small for you to worry about? Or do you say, you know, in, t- in the interest of time, I'll take out stuttering. I'll, t- I'll make them sound a little bit better than they did at the actual event. The, the easiest way to handle that is to, as Bill said, paraphrase. Mm-hmm. And just get to the point where I don't have to take anything out. I've paraphrased the point till I get to the 10-second soundbite. But that's why I say it's a case-by-case basis, because I certainly don't want to, like I said, make anybody look bad or, or change anybody's meaning or change anybody's intent. And, you know, but we are dealing with time issues, and, and we, we, you know, our stations wouldn't like it if we gave them stories that were six minutes long, full of people going, uh, you know, so right. we have to try to figure out how to do that, and that's a combination of paraphrasing and a combination of editing as well. Sometimes, though, once in a while, you'll do a, you'll have a, a little clip where you're actually having a little interview, two or three questions in, and you ask a tough question, and if the person uh, is really should know the answer to that question and then stumbles and pauses and, you know, uh, trips over themselves, you might keep that in uh, just to, to make the point, well, they, they, it was tough for them to handle that question, and, sure. uh, you know. 
What kind of responses do you get, and what do you do with the responses? You do something like that. You leave it in, and it's clear that the person didn't know it. So that's uh, you know a form of your writing. Do you get a lot of feedback because you're covering a political beat? I know there was one time where we left some pauses in and there was a blog that picked it up and set the whole thing to music and it was really inappropriate and it was a terrible use of our audio because it was not fair. This was a news setting and uh, this particular blog decided that it was funny that the individuals were asked a question and stumbled and awed and ummed all over themselves. And so that's the kind of response we worry about because we're a serious news organization. Blogs are blogs and it's a two, you know, there's a big wall, in my view, in between those two things. Okay. So, but for the most part, you know, I, I think some people are suspicious of um, you know what we're editing. But now with YouTube and, and everything else that's out there, you can actually see what we saw at a lot of these news conferences. You can see on the Ohio Channel, you can see the full House debate, and you can see the full Senate debate in the Supreme Court. You, know, you can see what we saw and then make your own conclusions about whether we were fair or not. And I think 99% of the time, it seems like we come out as being fair overall. And that's certainly our goal, because we're trying to really be truly fair and balanced. <laughs> truly. <laughs> truly. Truly. Not well, maligning anybody. We're fair no, and no. balanced, truly. You're listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. My guests are Bill Cohen and Karen Kassler from the Ohio State House News Bureau. They've been reporters for a number of years and will discuss journalism and the future of journalism in the second half of the show. For videos of our interviews, visit us at www.writerstalk.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash writerstalk. And now back to my discussion of journalism with Karen Kessler and Bill Cohen from the Ohio State House News Bureau. So you've got this, uh, you, you set a wall between you and blogs. I'm going to use a phrase here that I hope neither of you will hit me for, a citizen journalist. And that's a very different take. Um, tell me about the impact of technology and the rise of things like blogs on journalism from your viewpoint. How has it changed? What is it doing to you? Or does it not matter? Well, I just think there's a, I'm frustrated by the, by the confusion between journalists and bloggers uh, bloggers are, have every right in the world to, to get on the Internet and say whatever they want, just like they could have 20 years ago, but not on the Internet. They could have just spouted off at the local bar or with their friends and giving their opinions. Certainly free. That, in fact, that's great. That's citizen, that's citizen action and involvement. That's good citizenship. But I think there's a lot of confusion these days when people say, oh, the media, for instance, the media is biased. Of course the media is biased because the media is huge. The media includes those bloggers, Rush Limbaugh, Air America on the liberal side, Oprah Winfrey, 30-second TV spots for candidates. Of course, they're by they're, they're, half of those things are advocates. And they get lumped in with the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Ohio Public Radio and the Columbus Dispatch, uh, people who are trying to give you both sides of the story and fair analysis. Again, the bloggers and the opinion uh, pushers, they have every right to do what they're doing. But I just want the public to keep in mind there are two separate groups. One are advocates and people uh, spouting off with their own personal opinion, which is fine. Other people are reporters who are trying not to give you their personal opinion, but who are trying to give you a realistic picture of what's happening. And I have an esteemed colleague that refers to it as, you know, we can have citizen journalists in the same way we can have citizen mechanics, citizen doctors. I mean, journalists actually do 
get some training. We, we are here because we have gone through a certain amount of training through college or through high school, even, you know, that not everybody as a journalist has gone to college. But we've done this long enough so that we can separate our opinion from the facts. And that's the training that we get. And that's how we really are different from the blogs, from columnists and newspapers, from commentators on television. Those folks have opinions and they and I'm not saying they're not reasoned opinions because in many cases they are, you know, but we're not in the opinion business. We're in the factual reporting business and the putting it into context business. Okay. Now, without bringing up, uh, I mean, you cover politics, but without asking either of you uh, to talk about your own political views, I'm curious about what you said is, you know, you're separating facts from that. And I'd like to know what happens to you as, as a writer when you've got to report about something that, you know, it makes the people that you support look bad. And again, not <laughs> bringing up either side. How do you deal with that? How do you say, you know, do you, do you feel a lot more pressure when you write it? Do you feel disappointed? Uh, what's, your, what's your take on that? I mean, everybody's a person, and I think it's fair to ask the question about what is it like for you. I think less and less do I care about what my own point of view is or who I support. Uh, that's just a fades way into the background. Over the years, it's faded more and more. Uh, even if I do have a slight tingling, oh, I'm for this uh, particular uh, side, maybe. Uh, I enjoy doing a story where I've tried my best to get both sides, and the side that I generally support um, didn't come, you know, came out looking not very good because their people weren't very good. They didn't have good answers. I kind of almost relish that. Um, um, so, but, but again, what I think anymore, it just hasn't been as important as what I report on. I just get a bigger kick out of doing a good report that has both sides and is, you know, intriguing and, and, uh, and compelling and has good, good points from both sides. So that's, that's less of a question in my mind. Well, what do I support? I don't even, I just don't even ask myself that much anymore. And I've always kind of been a mediator. I can almost always see both sides. And so it, it doesn't really test me as much. But there are a few issues that I do have strong opinions on. Uh, the death penalty comes to mind. And so when I witnessed an execution, that really challenged me on my view on the death penalty, whether I support it or I'm opposed to it. It really ch- challenged me to, to really see both sides. And if I couldn't see the other side, I needed to figure out why. And so, you know, I, I try to keep pushing myself on issues where I feel like I'm fading on one side or the other to make sure that I, I really understand the arguments on both sides. And, and sometimes there's a third side or a fourth side. You know, you, you have to try to consider as many viewpoints as possible. Like Bill said, you know, what I think and feel is, is really irrelevant and it, it fades over time as we do more and more of these stories about issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I love to go into a story where I think, you know, oh, well, of course the arguments are on this side and not on. Th-. And then you interview, once you interview both sides, you say, you know what? That guy, even though I didn't think he was going to have a very good argument, he's got a heck of a good argument. Now, I may not even agree with it personally. Forget that. Again, he's got a strong I never thought of that. That is an interesting. And, and the more you're down here, I think you see that even though both sides, liberal and conservative or whatever, often paint each other as, oh, you're ignorant. If you would only know the facts, well, you'd be on our side. Or you're just being mean-spirited. That's why you're on that side. I think the more you're down here, you see there are people uh, of good intent, uh, people of good energy on both sides of all issues. That doesn't mean you don't come up with any personal view yourself as a, as a member of the public. But I think you, you get away from this idea that, oh, there's you know, good on one side and evil on the other. Okay. 
I do get concerned, though, about facts in general, that, that it's harder and harder to, to try to figure out where the facts are sometimes in arguments where, you know, especially when you're dealing with 30-second ads and, and really short um, communications. Why do you think it's harder to do with it? Just, it just There's a lot of misinformation out there. The Internet has been fabulous in so many different ways, but one thing it has been a challenge is that it spreads a lot of very bad information very quickly, and it's hard sometimes to backtrack it and, and figure out where the source of that bad information was and try to connect all the dots. And so that's part of our job is to try to figure out, okay, this person said this. Is that true? I need to check that out. That just, there's something about that, no matter how many times you say it, it doesn't make it true. You have to go back and, and do the research and, and figure out factually, is this a correct statement to make? A lot of what we're dealing with, it really isn't a matter of facts or, or not facts. It's usually predictions. Oh, if you lower taxes, this is what's going to happen. And one side says, oh, this is going to happen. And the other said, no, it's not. And we don't know because it's all prediction. It's all prediction. And uh, so it's not a matter of, not a matter of fact. Okay. Well, I've got a question for, for you, Karen. You were a fellow in the Kiplinger's master's program for mid-career journalists at the Ohio State University. Absolutely. So tell me about uh, being going through a program like that at, at mid-career. What, what do they do with you at mid-career? And this is a particular time. I mean, this wasn't recent. This right. Was, this was several years ago. Um, we, there were five newspaper reporters, a radio reporter, me, and a television reporter. And we were working with Jim Neff, who's an investigative reporter, uh, most recently in Seattle, and is just fantastic. He's written several books. Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting to work with him on investigative reporting and, and digging into records and making sense out of volumes of information and trying to get at stories that aren't exactly obvious, trying to dig under and everything. And it was a, it was a fascinating experience, not only, you know, to do that and to get a master's degree out of it and everything, but also to work with newspaper reporters and a television reporter and see how they did it differently. Mm-hmm. My master's thesis was a half-hour-long radio documentary, which was the most work I'd ever undertaken before in one fell swoop, so to speak. But I got to see how the newspaper reporters did their individual series, which one wrote something for the New York Times. And, and you know, it was, it was fun to see how everybody else did their process as well. Now, one of the things that that makes me think of is you're talking about a span of time in which um, technology has enabled this sort of convergence. You've got um, things like uh, newspapers that have websites with video on them. And at the same time, you've got um, television stations with websites with a lot of writing on them. So what's happening to journalism? What are your predictions, I guess, for how all this stuff is going to continue to mesh and mold? What do you see as... um, the next thing in journalism, because journalism seems to be going through this big difficulty right now of finding out what it is. Nobody can be just a print reporter anymore. Nobody can be just a radio reporter, just a television reporter. You have to be prepared to do all three, and you have to be prepared to go on the web, and you have to be prepared to take questions and and talk about the stories that you're doing in the video, and then write it for the web, and and maybe even do a radio or a podcast for it. You have to be uh, flexible enough to be able to do all these things, so your skills that you have to develop are even more than maybe what they were 10 years ago. Because I know a lot of print reporters for a long time didn't want to do television and didn't want to do video because that's not what they did. Well, now you have to. It's part of the job now, I think. It's interesting, yeah, as you point out, the, uh, 10, 10, 20 years ago, the newspaper reporter, some of them you know, looked at the radio and TV reporters and said, 
you know, are these people really reporters? Now that they're carrying, now that some of the newspaper reporters are carrying around tape recorders or, or you know, uh, these kind of recorders, video recorders, I think they they have a a little better understanding of yeah, it's uh, it's it's journalism, and it's uh, not always easy because we were pointing out before you're trying to get the newsmakers to say something interesting. Uh, in plain English that you can use on radio, that you can use on TV, you can put onto the web, and uh, they see it's not always easy. I like your description of that. You said, say something interesting. What's, when you're in the pursuit of a story, what defines it as interesting? Um, is it something that you hadn't thought of before? Is it just the clear? Because, okay, you can have something said in a clear way, but it may not be interesting. You know, I took the dog to the vet today. Not particularly interesting, but quite clear. So if you're pursuing a story, what makes that interesting? What piques your curiosity and you say, that's it right there. That's the thing I'm going to pursue. Well, the first basic thing is taking a stand. I mean, if the, if the, if the legislator isn't, uh, okay, I'm doing a story on this proposal to repeal the death penalty. Senator, you're for or against it. Well, I haven't decided yet. I think there's arguments on both sides. That's not too interesting to put on. <laughs> to put on. Well, first, I'm looking for somebody really strong who's for and somebody who's strong and against. Now, there could be a place for that person who's undecided if we go, hey, the vote, the vote count right now is 40 to 40, to 40, to 40 and we're as a tie-breaking vote, and Senator Jones is one of two tie-breakers. Well, what's he thinking? He's still undecided. Okay, he might still get in this story, but, but less likely. I mean, we're looking for people to, to, uh, to show the listeners, hey, there are two sides to this story. Here are the basic arguments on both sides, and, and you know, so that's it. Then, you know, the other element is just saying it with some, some punch as if you care about what you're saying. Every once in a while you interview somebody who kind of takes a clear stand, but they're so, they have so little passion, it's, uh, it's I don't know, it's like at cross purposes with what they're saying. And I always look for the surprising thing, the thing I don't expect, the, the, the guy who I thought was going to say this but actually said that. You know, um, the guy who seems to, he has a strong stance in this direction, but all, you know, on this subject, he's completely the other direction. That, that's interesting because it's, it's unique. It's, I mean, part of the definition of news is it's unique, it's new, it's different, it's something that's happening right now. And so, you know, when you find somebody who's changed their mind or has a, a stance that's unexpected, that's, that's interesting. Okay. So is that ultimately what, or that, it, how can I phrase this question? Ultimately, that seems like that's the thing that you're, you're most passionate about. You're passionate about getting the facts right, but also you want something that's going to attract attention. Well, we want listeners. We want viewers. Right. We want people to tune in and to go to our website. And that's the way you know people want to, to know this kind of information. But our first question, I think, is, is this something that impacts people? Yeah. That's one of our Absolutely. definitions of news. Uh, yes, do people want to know uh, does, who is Madonna uh, getting married to or is uh, Cher getting more artificial surgery on her face? Okay, there are ma- but we, our I've definition you're is... you're having done that enough lately. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, our definition is, okay, people may be interested in that, but that's not our definition of news. Of course, our beat is the Ohio legislature and state government. But so our beat is what, is, what is state government doing or not doing that impacts you, that impacts you? So if it's a story about taxes going up, taxes going down... Uh, 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 an anti-crime bill, gay rights, uh, women's rights, civil rights, whatever. So is it going to impact you in your everyday life? There are bills here every day that these legislators deal with that do that. There are a lot of bills that don't. A lot, a lot of bills are just bureaucratic, uh, little tinkering things that legislators make a big deal about. And we, we cover and we go, that's not a news story. It doesn't impact a lot of people. But if we can show our listeners that this is going to impact them in their pocketbooks, in their jobs, at their schools, 
then it's an important story. I think we always argue for ourselves that what happens here is more important sometimes than what happens at the federal level. It can sometimes be even more important than what happens at the local level because, just like Bill said, it affects your wallet. It affects taxes. It affects your schools, where your kids are going to learn. I mean, it affects so many different areas. Okay, final question. This is your opportunity for the soundbite because we're almost out of time. Somebody's coming out of school in journalism. What's your advice to them, Bill? Oh, uh, maybe you want to switch uh, fields. Um, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Although I'd say if somebody really is passionate about journalism and government or whatever that whatever they're interested in covering, I'd say go for it. Maybe get hooked up with a newspaper, get hooked up with public radio. Boy, to work for NPR in Washington or around the country, that would be a gem job. But you'd, it's, uh, you know, very few of those jobs. But if you're passionate and you get into internships early and show you really want to do it, I'd say go for it. You're not going to make a lot of money. But you will love coming to work. Uh, be ethical, stay out of debt, and consider marrying well. Those would be the things that I would suggest. <laughs> uh, and there will be uh, suggestions for that yeah, uh, well. that we'll, we'll put on the website after this. I have, no advi- I have advice on ethics. The rest of it, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, Bill Cohen and Karen Kessler, thank you very much for being here on Writer's Talk. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. My guests were Bill Cohen and Karen Kessler from The Ohio State House News Bureau. For more of our video or audio interviews with writers ranging from Lee Child, R.L. Stein, and Margaret Peterson Haddix, along with songwriters and performers like Dalla and the local band The Shazbots, visit us on the web at writerstalk.org. Join us next week when we get spooky with our third annual Halloween show. This year, we'll be featuring an interview with local horror fiction writer Gary Brownback and the dramatic reading of one of his stories. It'll be a great way to get you into the mood of the most frightening season of all when little trick-or-treaters stop by to take all of the best food in your house, at least if you like the kind of food that I like. So until then... Watch out for all of those things that go bump in the night and from the spooky, spooky offices high atop the watchtower that is Mendenhall Lab on the Ohio State University campus. This is Doug Dangler saying, keep writing.